Hi guys, it's Allison here before the episode starts. We just wanted to alert you all to the changes in the GEDmatch DNA research website this week, but we recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago before the news broke. So I'm sure lots of you have heard of GEDmatch because it helped in the identification of the Golden State Killer and the Grim Sleeper. It also helps in solving Doe cases like Annie Doe in Oregon. The police were able to access DNA people had uploaded to the website, and this eventually led to the cases being solved. They were able to use this site because unlike sites like Ancestry.com and 23andMe, GEDmatch had a clause in their terms and conditions stating that if you upload your DNA info to the site, you're consenting to the data being used by law enforcement to help solve cases involving murder, sexual assault. This week that changed. GEDmatch allowed data on the site to be used for the brutal assault of a 79-year-old woman. It wasn't murder or sexual assault, but Curtis Rogers, who owns GEDmatch, let them use the site anyway, which technically violated their own terms and conditions. Privacy rights groups got involved and got super up in arms about this, leading GEDmatch to make their users have to opt in to law enforcement being able to use their data. So if you have a GEDmatch account and you don't mind law enforcement using your uploaded DNA data to potentially catch murderers and people who assault people, you should log into your GEDmatch account and change the access of your DNA data kit to public with law enforcement access. We're going to have a link in the show notes to Kitty Cooper's blog where she has more in-depth instructions on how to do this and screenshots. It's super simple. It's really important to do this because GEDmatch is such a valuable resource for law enforcement, but it's really only useful in this way if there are as many DNA data kits as possible available on the site. I actually haven't done a DNA data kit yet, And this news has spurred me to take one and upload it to the site. Okay, now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Doe, a podcast dedicated to Doe cases from around the world. I'm Kat. And I'm Allie. It's been a while since we did this, it so I has. feel a little rusty. I'm like, I'm done the semester. I successfully presented on Forensic Science Day. Yay! Survived that. I guess my, I don't really have a forensic fact because I'm exhausted. Uh, oh, we did do a bonus assignment in one of my classes comparing um, NamUs and the Canadian version, which is oh. like N-C-M-P-U-R. So catchy. And, yeah, so then I learned that um, ours, it's also called Canada's Missing, doesn't have every uh, case of unidentified remains in Canada. Thought it did. So it's not really... Okay, the NamUs one is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty you can, like, submit cases and they have to get approved, but... Mm -hmm. And they cover, it seems like, every case in the States. And they're just, it's so nicely designed. Like, our website... The Canada's Missing looks like it was designed in the late 90s. It's also, if we're thinking of the website that I'm thinking of, it's got, like, the same interface as, like, the tax website. It does. So I feel like it's so it deserves something It needs something, something better. better. And also, it's not... The search function of it is not great. Like, NamUs, they... Oh, my God, is that ever... Mm. That, I want that. But, yeah, yeah, with, um like, Canada's, it's... The unidentified remain cases are just ones where the police in charge of each case have decided that making it, like, posting it publicly 
will do something to help with the identification, even though you would think that would be the go-to for every identifying case. And meanwhile, NamUs is just everything. Yeah. It's fantastic. You can search so many ways. You can search, like, how much of the remains were found, or, Mm -hmm. like, what parts of the remain. You can search, like, if a hand was found. Uh, It's... Also, I find just easier to read about the cases, just like the layout of the information. It's so nice. I feel like on the Canada's Missing one, you just have to click like a bajillion oh. times about everything. Yeah, and trying to find our website is so hard. I always forget, and then I just have to Google for like 10 minutes until I find it again. Yeah. Also, there was on NamUs, there's also a section for unclaimed remains, which I thought was really neat. Can you define unclaimed? So that's like when they know who the person is and they have the body, but no one's come to claim the body. Gotcha. Okay. So I think that's usually for like homeless people and things Mm -hmm. like that when they do Mm -hmm. know who the person is. Yeah. So forensic fact is uh, Canada, what are we doing? Yeah. We... we... So I guess maybe I'll have more interesting forensic facts later instead of just me ranting about a website. Well, to be fair, this last month has just been very, very, very busy for both of us. I don't really remember the last month. I've barely been sleeping. Because I've been, well, I've been staying overnight with four cats. Three of which like to jump around on me and sleep on me in the night. The other one just hasn't come out from under the bed ever. For like two weeks. He's still fine. I check in on him. He's there. That's good. But yeah, I'm like, okay, I was trying to sleep and one of the cats just like walks over to my head and puts his butt right on my head. Lies down and is like about to go to sleep like that. I'm like... No. No, dude. This isn't a thing that's happening, <laughs> sir. And my allergies have been awful because oh, I'm allergic no. to all of them. Oh, no. And the heat on is still on, on the, in the building, and it's set, I figure, at like 25. And I feel like this is a good point where we mention that you're a pet sitter and that these aren't your cats. Oh, yeah, no. Mine are. Mine are little angels. Yeah. No, they're not. Well, they're, they are to me because... I come over and... That's true. They're just so sweet. Now that it's spring and Nara won't shut up. Because she wants to go outside because that's where she originally came from. Right. We're like, you're, cat. We're like, you're not going out there. You live in the house. Accept mm-hmm. <laughs> it. But anyway, that's what my life that has been. the forensic fact and the cat update. Cat facts. <laughs> cat facts. Facts. <laughs> okay. All right. So I guess let's get started. Fair, okay. Oh, sorry. Before we get started, yeah. I have not recommended, but a couple of really great friends have said that they listened to the podcast and the content was disturbing. So I feel oh, like yeah. I feel like we should give a warning. We're going to be talking about gross stuff. These cases are not like they're pretty disturbing. Just I guess a warning. Yeah, I guess. I just remembered what I was also thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for this episode, I was originally going to do the Allenstown 4, also known mm. as the Bearbrook murder. Bearbrooks, yeah. Bearbrook? Bearbrooks? I don't know. I just know them as the Allenstown 4. I just listened to a very good podcast yeah, about but, them. Yeah, um, but Murder Squad just did an episode on them because Billy Jensen is, that's like his pet case. Mm-hmm. And I can't top that, so I didn't do that case. And... In addition to that Murder Squad episode, which was very good, there's also the Bear Brook podcast put up by New Hampshire Public Radio that I just devoured at work. Wait, is that what NPR is? Um, I think NPR is National Public Radio. Oh, okay. So they're probably related in some fashion somehow, but I don't know. 
But yeah, it was really, 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 really good. But yeah, so look up those cases. Look up those episodes from those two podcasts because they're amazing. Yes. So instead, I am doing the Persian Princess Mummy. I don't know if you remember this one. I think it was very briefly mentioned in a My Favorite Murder episode. I'm drawing a blank. It was a couple years ago, I think. Okay. Um, but I think they like just briefly mentioned it as this weird thing in the news. So because of that, I thought it was a pretty recent case, but it's actually not. Oh. We were only 10. Oh. Well, okay. You were still nine. I was still nine because I'm oh, a December baby. baby. I was 10, almost 11 because I'm a February baby. And now we're going to age ourselves because you're going to tell oh, us crap. the date. <laughs> I don't know if I've revealed our secrets. Okay. So... Fair warning, there's a lot of words in here that I am going to do my best to pronounce. We're going to get through it. You're going to be awesome. And I did try to look up how they're pronounced, but as you can attest to hearing the pronunciations, none of the recordings could agree. No, I was I was listening to you do it, and I was across the room, and I didn't know what was happening, because one lady would say it, and then another no. lady would say it a completely different way. So I'm just like, okay, we're just going to say it my way and hope. But anyway, okay. So this is the Persian princess mummy. On October 19th, 2000, a mummy showed up on the Pakistani black market for 600 million rupees, which I think was like 11 million American dollars at the time. Oh my God. Something like that. A lot of million. <laughs> Authorities were tipped off about a videotape showing the mummy and the seller, Ali Akbar from Karachi. Since selling mummies is super illegal, Police tracked down Akbar for questioning, who then led police to the mummy, which was being kept in the house of tribal leader Wali Muhammad Riki in Quetta, the capital of Pakistan's southwestern Balochistan province, and that's on the border of Iran and Afghanistan. Riki, in turn, claimed that he had received the mummy from an Iranian man named Sharif Shah Baki, who apparently found the mummy after an earthquake nearby. Baki and Riki agreed to sell the mummy and split the profits, while Akbar's involvement isn't really clear. Someone apparently offered 60 million rupees for the mummy, which is way lower than the 600 million asking price. Riki and Akbar were charged with violating Pakistan's Antiquity Act, which comes with a maximum 10-year sentence, but Baki hasn't been caught, at least at the time of this article, which was like 2001. Now for the mummy itself, which was brought to the National Museum in Karachi. It was wrapped in an Egyptian style, but rested within a wooden coffin inscribed with cuneiform and the Zoroastrian deity Ahura Mazda atop a mat coated with a mixture of wax and honey. The coffin was covered by a stone slab inscribed with more cuneiform. A CT scan of the mummy was later performed at Karachi's Aga Khan Hospital, which indicated that the mummy was of a 20 to 21 year old woman who possibly died uh, from a broken spine. Oh boy. According to the inscriptions on the coffin, the mummy belonged to Kor ul Gayan or Tundal Kaya, possibly the daughter of Karosh ul Kabir, the first ruler of Persia's Kamam ul Nishian dynasty. Or the mummy belonged to an Egyptian princess who married a Persian prince during the reign of Cyrus I, and his reign was between 640 to 590 BCE. Uh, one curator, uh, Asma Ibrahim, suggested that the mummy could have come from a tomb in the Hamadan region of western Iran or the southwestern Pakistani area of Karan. Thus began the fight for ownership. 
has happened in every single one of these archaeological cases. Have we mentioned that you also have an archaeology degree? Yeah, so this marries two of my passions in life, archaeology and forensic anthropology. Yay! Yay! Except my specialty is Egyptian archaeology, but you know, there's a mummy. Yeah. So, Pakistan and Iran both wanted to claim the mummy because of where she was found. Even the Taliban said they might try to claim her because reasons. So remember, this is 2000. Oh, right. When the Taliban were, like, they still um, were the government of Afghanistan, I think, and then before, like, 9-11. The Iranian Cultural Heritage Organization threatened legal action through UNESCO, while the director of Pakistan's archaeological department's headquarters argued that since the mummy was found in Pakistani territory, she was the property of Pakistan. Then Iran said it was cooperating with Interpol. Pakistan's foreign minister warned against politicizing the issue, and the Taliban demanded that their archaeologists get to play a role in determining ownership. Because reasons. Right. (laughs) So we have Pakistan, Iran, and Afghanistan all fighting over this mummy. And then within Pakistan itself, there were more divisions. A petition was filed with the Balochistan... Oh, I know I'm saying that wrong. High Court asking for the mummy's return to Quetta, claiming the police's seizure had been illegal, and, quote, spread panic among the people of Balochistan who felt deprived of their cultural, historic, and valuable heritage. Now remember, this is a mummy that was being sold illegally on the black market. The police's seizure was not illegal. Right. It was, hey, what you're doing is illegal, criminal. We're taking her into custody because... You can't sell mummies on the black market. What are you doing? Yeah. Awan tribe of Balochistan decided that the mummy must be a princess of the Awan royal family, uh, Hika Munshi, and must therefore be moved to the local Kalar Kahar Kalar Kahar Fossils Museum. Because she's apparently a princess found in Pakistan. Therefore, she has to be from this royal family. What I'm getting because from this reasons. is that she is just super popular. She's very popular. But while all this was going on, the mummy's legitimacy was under question. Archaeologist Ahmed Hassan Dani of Quaid-e-Izam University in Islamabad insisted that the mummy was Egyptian since mummification was not practiced in Iran or Iraq. I don't know why Iraq was brought in because Iraq hasn't been mentioned until this point. They're, They're just letting us know. They're just saying. And the cuneiform could have been added by smugglers for some reason. Like if they wanted to pass it off as... Like a uh, Mesopotamian. Right. Because cuneiform is not Egyptian. Right. So it could be like a, like a forgery type Yeah. Thing. Okay. In response, Iran claimed that an Italian archaeologist had done their own translation of the inscriptions and concluded that the mummy was a member of the ancient Persian royal family. Two weeks after the mummy's discovery, Oscar White Muscarella, I'm probably saying that wrong too, of the Metropolitan Museum of Art said the mummy's description sounded much like one shown in photos sent to him last March. So that was two, wait, 1999. So sent to him in March 1999 by a New Jersey resident on behalf of an unidentified dealer in Pakistan. So the four photos showed a mummy in a wooden coffin wearing a gold crown mask and inscribed breastplate and was indeed the same mummy. The letter that came with the photos, so... The photos and the letter were sent to Muscarella. Stated that the mummy was owned by a Pakistani acquaintance and had been brought by Zoroastrian families many years ago from Iran to Pakistan. It further claimed that the mummy was actually the daughter of Xerxes, based on the inscription on the breastplate, which in 
did indeed say, I am the daughter of the great King Xerxes. The letter offered to sell the mummy to the Met if Muscarella was interested. Muscarella immediately suspected fraud and contacted the translator of the inscription, the whole of which Muscarella had not received. A good portion of the inscription had been directly taken from a famous inscription of King Darius. He reigned from 522 to 486 BCE at Behistun, which details the king's accomplishments and dates to 520 to 519 BCE, which is much later than the mummy's proposed origin of 600 BCE. The translator's analysis also pointed out a number of problems with the inscription that was not consistent with Old Persian. He believed the inscription itself to date from no earlier than the 1930s. Ooh, you know what this case is reminding me of in a weird way? What? This is like a stolen identity case, but it's none of her concern. This is just other people stealing other people's identities to yeah. put on her. That was actually kind of thinking the same thing. It's like... That's why I'm like, Alison will like this one. Yes, I am enjoying this. So the dealer's representative refused to believe the the date that was given and sent a small piece of the mummy's coffin off for carbon dating, which, well, on earth, which years in approximate age. <laughs> I think that's supposed to say which gave. You verbed years. <laughs> I, verbed, I verbed years. That's supposed to say gave. Okay. So that was um, sent off for carbon dating, which gave an approximate age of 250 years. Great sentence. Yes. A plus. Great. And I studied English. Oof. Hilariously, the representative claimed that the results showed that the mummy could, quote, not be called modern. So even though the carbon dating still showed that the coffin and presumably the mummy was fake. Right. So his whole thing is like... What? See, this is at least, like, 250 years old. Therefore, it's so not modern, like, your 1930s. And it's like, dude, that's that's still still not 600 BC. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, 600 BC. It's it's just such a thing. It's like, see? See, I'm still right. It's It's kind of like when um, there's, like, art frauds or whatever, and it's like, well, it was a forgery, but it's a very old forgery. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so then uh, Muscarella then noped out of that situation and remained uninvolved with the so-called Persian princess until she resurfaced on the black market in 2000. On November 26, 2000, the Taliban announced that smugglers had confessed to finding the mummy in the southwestern Afghan province of Nimroz on the Iranian border and took it to Pakistan. Therefore, the mummy belonged to Afghanistan. On November 30th, advocate Khalid Ahmed of the Balochistan High Court criticized Karachi authorities for removing the mummy from Quetta, insisting that, quote, any professional archaeologist could prove that the mummy was excavated from the remains of Galuga, an ancient settlement in the Koran district about 400 miles southwest of Quetta. Because, you know, that's how it works when you find something. You go, oh, it came from there, because it's close. Right. That's like that's totally 100% like hundred percent what. Can you imagine that logic? It's like the Egyptian mummy that was in the Niagara Museum. It's like, well, clearly it has to be a Canadian mummy because it's close. It's in Canada yeah. right now. My first thought is there's a lamp behind you, and my first thought was obviously this is the origin of this lamp. This it's lamp in my apartment building. This lamp was made here. Yeah, obviously. I forged like, the metal right here in this room. <laughs> Damn right. And it's beautiful. Thank you. But yeah, so this is like the really dumbass logic that you get in academics where it's like, God. So this is just a giant peeing contest at this point. Gotcha. Yeah. Now here's the twist. 
and why I'm even telling this story instead of just being like, look at this cool story. On January 14th, 2001, a delegation from Iran's Cultural Heritage Organization, CHO, declared the mummy a fake based on the presence of petrochemicals and detergents on the body and pencil marks on the coffin. Ooh! They did not have pencils in 600 BCE. Yeah. Furthermore, an analysis of the mummy's CT scan indicated that the body had been mummified no more than two years before. That's very modern. (laughs) The woman's organs had been removed and replaced with powder, which I think I read in something was like baking soda and salt for sap out the moisturize the moisture from the body to mummify her faster see something that i wouldn't even think of that's why people uh, bury bodies in kitty litter as we've learned oh shoot Mm. yes Mm. so the carbon dating was performed on the woman's tissue which indicated that she had died in 1996 hmm she was also revealed to not only have a broken back but also a broken neck oh dear now the question was whether the woman was a victim of murder or a stolen corpse, like dug up from a graveyard after being recently buried. After the autopsy, two more so-called Persian mummies appeared on the international art market with striking similarities to the Persian princess. So what this indicates is that either murders or grave robberies were being committed to create fake Persian mummies. Can we just talk about how weird that mummies were on the art market? Like, you know what I need in my collection? A body. Oh, no, like, that's that's super common. <laughs> oh, my God. I guess I'm, like, not high class enough to think that that's, like... Uh, there's oh. um, a store in Toronto. I want to say it's, like, the Bone Store or something. But if you look at their website, some of the things they're selling, I'm, like... They're selling, like, a mummified hand or something. And I'm like, that's just messed up. That is messed up. Like, people have no respect for anything. No. It makes me, like, the black market makes me so angry. No. Also, like, hot take here, but I think that having a human body in your art collection is, like, fucked up. That's crazy fucked up. (laughs) Just a big bit. On the bright side, um... Eating mummies seems to have gone out of style, so that's cool. Holy, what fresh hell. Um, Mummia. What? If you look up Mummia. I really, really don't want to do um, that. Yeah, back in the day, uh, Europeans, possibly other people as well, used to grind up mummy powder, and um, it was kind of like their version of today's essential oils. Oh, Christ. It was like, eat this, it cures everything. It cures nothing. Because it's the ground up mummy that you're eating. You're eating a person, what are you doing? Just, like, I don't even know. know. But yeah, look up Mummia. Great. If you want to. Yeah. Yeah. um, Oh, don't forget there were also English uh, mummy unwrapping parties. Ew. Where, like, a a rich English person, and probably other Europeans, but I always rag on the English because I am one, um, would buy a mummy. And then all their rich friends would come to their house and they would unwrap the mummy. I hope they got haunted as fuck. I hope so, too. Wow, that's so disrespectful. Mm-hmm. So if you ever want to be really mad, look up. <laughs> yeah, that stuff. Oof. So, in 2008, the Persian princess was buried by the Eddie Foundation, and since then, all interest in the identity of the woman seems to have disappeared, aside from a 2017 art show dedicated to her by Hilly Greenfeld. So... We don't know who she is. We don't know who the other two people are. 
Wow. We don't know if there's more of these. And we don't know those other two people. They never did testing to figure out, like, what period like, they're from no, either, right? Nothing showed so up. So there's, like, not even, like, um, not a geographical location, but also, like, not a location in time. So it's, like, ridiculously hard to yeah, but, attempt to find out anything. But it would probably be, like, fresh people again. So either murdered or freshly buried. Because Persian mummies aren't a thing. Persia didn't do mummification. That was right. Egyptian. <laughs> So and that was, like, tip-off one is, like, guys. And they don't know, like, this is the graveyard where they're taking these from. They, because they don't even know if they took them from a graveyard. Yeah, they could be and killing people. They literally, like, police just don't care. Oh, my God. And this is her, by the way. Oh, I'm saying, oh, but it's, like, just the fact that there's, like, this body shape and there's obviously a lot of hoopla going on. Like, there's, like, a camera and stuff. It's just, I hope that she's, like... At peace now, because that does not look peaceful. <laughs> no. But also, um, I think they were, like, kind of going along the border where she was found. Like, they kind of did a facial approximation. I didn't see it. Because they know the hair color was, like, dark hair, no approximate age, and kind of getting an idea of face shape. So she's probably, like, Iranian. Um, and just kind of trying to find out that way. But other than that, the police just don't seem to care. Well, they should care. Yeah, they should, yeah. It's a potential murder. I mean, this was the latest I could get on it was 2002 there was a documentary. Oh my god. I'm... Yeah, and everything I got was from Archaeology Magazine, which is a very good source. Hmm. And this is just pictures of the art exhibit that Greenfeld did in like in honor of the Persian princess. It's beautiful. I also oh it's, that's kind of cool. Oh, she, like, oh, I didn't even notice the rest. Yeah, so she used like uh, fake grass and painted on it using like sim like the cuneiform and other symbols from the mummy and stuff. And that was 2017. I like this quote. The works function as a tribute to the anonymous woman who became in an instant from the status of a princess in a gold-plated coffin displayed in the National Museum to a vicious murder victim that everyone very quickly lost interest in assuming it was a murder yeah but it yeah it's like you would think that finding out that it's a fake mummy is like okay that's already like what but then finding out it's someone who apparently died in 1996 and no one has done anything like i don't think they did any dna testing or anything to try and figure out who she is they were just like not a princess don't care yeah basically that's awful. Yeah, so that one I'm, like, really hoping that maybe there'll be a renewed interest because this is a crazy case. Yeah. It is a crazy, wild case. I can only hope it's a grave robbery, just, like, that's still not good. No, it's not good, but at least, at least they aren't killing someone for this. Yeah, because, dear God. It's still very, very, very not good, yeah. but... So, yeah, that's the case of the Persian princess, which I thought was way more recent, but is not, and... Well, hopefully someday maybe someone will try and do something with. Yeah. I will be doing the case of the Woodlawn Jane Doe. I've heard of the... Oh, right, because it was on our spreadsheet. That's the only reason I know the name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this... I actually referenced this case in episode one. I don't remember episode one. So um, basically I did the... Uh, Nation River Lady who was found with like... Oh, the toast towel. Yes. And all of the, like, towels on her face. Yeah, and the antenna wire. And I mentioned that I'd heard of this case. 
in Maryland where she had all the towels on her face. Oh, and I was right, not right. Yes, I was not the only person to think this. There was a connection. Yes. Because when I was researching for this case, I found a Reddit thread started by a user named The Best Virginia that also had the thought that these cases were related. Mm. But looking into this one and looking into Nation River Lady, like looking more into this one, I think they have nothing to do with each other. Interesting. I think it was just a weird coincidence. Yeah, this do happen. I mean, I could eat my words, but I don't think, I really don't think they're related. Mm. Also, this crime is especially heinous, and it really freaks me out that they never caught this one because it's such a violent crime. Like, this was not his first rodeo, and this was not his last rodeo. Like, all of these cases are really awful, but this one specifically is like, yikes. Oh, dear. Okay. So, on September 12th, 1976, in Woodlawn, Baltimore County, Maryland, A man found a body at the side of a road close to the back gate of Lorraine Park Cemetery between 10.20 and 11.20 a.m. She was a woman anywhere from 15 to 30 years old, and she was violently raped, strangled and beaten, and wrapped in a bloody white sheet. It's thought she was killed the previous day or night at a different location and then dumped on the side of the road. A mother and daughter passing by saw a Ford Econoline van leaving the location of the body somewhere between 9.20 a.m. to 10.20 a.m. And a what van? A Ford Econoline van. They're quite common, and they're I think they're still made today. Econoline? I'm looking that up. I don't know what that I'm, looks like. I am a car nerd, so the second they said this, I was like, oh yes, the very 70s van. Oh, that one! Yeah, they're like super duper common. Oh, those ones. They always look so sketchy. She had dark brown or black hair, a widow's peak, and an olive complexion. She was of unknown ethnicity. There's a photo of her after she was embalmed, and she's freaking gorgeous. Like, it's the prettiest doe picture I've seen. Do you have pictures? I do. Yay! Show me things. Okay, I gotta find them on my phone. Oh, yeah, that one. It's a postmortem. She's embalmed, but it's, like, the prettiest postmortem ever. Um... But the photo of before they embalmed her is not pretty. Oh, wow. They did a really good job. So she was between 149 and 159 pounds and anywhere from 5 foot 6 inches to 5'9". She had O-positive blood. Her teeth had professional dental work. She also had three molars removed and fillings in her other five molars. I have also learned since writing this that we have eight molars. Okay, so that's not counting... Third molars. Third molars? Yeah, your wisdom teeth. Oh, so I guess she had hers out then. Yeah, because that's three, six, nine, twelve. Again, this is how rumors get started. I'm like, I guess she had her wisdom teeth out, and then like, (laughs) yeah. Because we have two premolars, and then we have three molars in each segment. I really don't like teeth, and I don't (laughs) like talking about them, and I don't like thinking about them. Okay. It looks like she had enough money to take care of her teeth, and she was also like... It didn't look like she was malnourished or anything. Yeah. Um, And we have fingerprints as well. She had a huge amount of chlorpromazine. Okay. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, that sounds good. I practiced it before and then I forgot. Um, So chlorpromazine is a sedative used to treat schizophrenia and I think also like bipolar and a couple other things, but it's like in that wheelhouse. Okay. Uh, This led to a theory that her killer worked at a mental institution. The sheet that they found her in also could have been from a mental institution because of the low threat count. It was only 130. Oh, so like a really crappy sheet. Yeah. 
So those two things together, perhaps. Mm. Um, there's also another theory that she was actually a patient at one of, like, an, a mental institution. But I personally feel like it's more likely that the killer worked at one, maybe. Well, now I'm like, is it the killer worked there and it was a patient? It could be both. We don't know. Um, Nama says that she may have worked at a mental institution, so I personally have a hunch that perhaps there's something else that they know that they haven't released. I don't mm. know if Namus does that, oh, but I the fact no that idea. it's put on Namus makes me think that there's, like, something. Or they're just saying, they're going through all the theories, like, killer worked at one, she, killer worked at one, she was a patient, killer worked at one, she also worked at one. Well, the, I think they just say that she re- potentially resided at one, they don't say anything about the killer. Okay, so they're saying patient, then. Yeah, resided at one. Yeah, so that's patient. You don't just go and hang out at a mental hospital. I hope not. Seems rude. Yeah. So this is what was found with uh, Woodlawn Jane Doe. A turquoise bead strung onto a rawhide string worn as a necklace. Very 70s. Very 70s. Two keys, one for a house, and another one was for a night latch. Also... what? Yeah, that was my... Um, first thought. Is that like, um, one of those, uh, old deadbolt type things? Yeah, it's kind of like a deadbolt type thing. Honestly, every apartment I've ever had in Toronto has had a spot where they had a night latch and now they don't have them, so I think it was I a very... bad. I've seen one. Yeah, I'm just gonna pull one up right now. So oh. it's one of those ones where it's like, it's got oh, like God, a springy guy. Ass. Yeah, it's got like a springy guy and you have to turn it, it looks a like... A bunch of my clients have those and you push up the thing to keep it like permanently unlocked you push it down to keep it locked and it will lock automatically behind you okay so basically it's a don't forget your keys kind of thing yeah and i'm guessing they didn't find that well unless they just go around trying every house and well we'll get to that Ooh. Okay. Not that they did that, but... Holy shit. I I have notes about just, that. Just going to every house, and it's like, is someone trying to break into my house? It's like, don't worry. Just the cops. Yeah. I'm just testing things. So, she was also wearing a white short-sleeved, like, pullover top, which to me kind of sounds like a peasant top. And just from... Yeah. From their fashion, yeah. Yeah, from 76. It was probably a peasant top. A white bra, yellow or beige corduroy Levi's, and striped brown, beige, and gray knee-high socks. They also found one single moccasin with a rubber sole and twine as a shoelace. Okay. They also found two bandanas. One was blue and white. One was orange and white and had eye and nose holes cut in it. Okay, that's freaking creepy. Well, because it was over her face as well. Well, I figured that one was over the killer's face to hide who he was. No, that was over her face. Because this is all the stuff that they found on her. Oh, like, literally on her. Yeah, so that oh. that's why I thought that this was kind of similar to Nation River Lady. Oh, duh, right, 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 right. Okay, yes. Um, and there was also a bag for grass seeds. What? And all three of these were tied together and placed over her face, and they were tied in a square knot in the back of her neck. Um, and a square knot is a left-handed overhand knot over a right-handed overhand knot. I had to look that up because I'm hopeless <laughs> I'm gonna, with knots. I'll just get my dad to make the knot and show me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't get it. Um, and also her hands were bound behind her with a bandage type material. Again, Ooh. hospital perhaps? Yeah, hospital supplies? normally something you just kind of carry around. Yeah. And knots that would signify that this guy knew how to tie knots. 
So I don't know what that was, but something, I don't know. Um, and a piece of the grass seed bag was also found lodged in her throat, and this paired with ligature strangulation was the cause of her death. Ugh, like, that sounds fucking horrible. So, this grass seed bag was super specific. Um, it said Farm Bureau Association Grass Seed, Lexington, Massachusetts. It was manufactured at the Bemis Bag Company in Buffalo, New York, and it was only sold in six locations, all in Massachusetts. And it also hadn't been sold in years. Okay. And this Jane Doe also had a pair of letters tattooed on her right arm just below the shoulder. They're super homemade and crude. Well, yeah, because I'm thinking, like, 1970s tattoos is, like, I mean, obviously there were tattoos, but it's, like, it wasn't as prominent as yeah. it is now. Um, so the letters could be JP, JB, or JE. I'm going to show you a photo. Good. Of this tattoo. I like pictures. Which, oh, what in the hell am I looking at? Yep, that was my initial reaction because to Where me... Where is this J? Okay, so what this looks like to me is, you know those like little colorblind tests? Where oh, there's a whole bunch I of... could never do those. Oh, wait, the colorblind test. I was thinking the... um The magic eye. Yeah, I Oh I my god, I've never gotten a magic eye I, in my life. I can't do those. No, I, don't I can't either. I don't get it. But the colorblind tests are like, yeah. it's a circle, and there's a whole bunch of different circles, and some have like more red or whatever in them, so you can... Yeah, it's like red on green, and then uh, whatever other ones, I and mean, it's just so that you can tell if you're colorblind or not. Yeah, so to me, that's what this looks like, because it's so, like, it's so at? subtle. Like, I think the J, I can see the J, and to me, it looks like an E, what am I looking at? Yeah, so that's... That looks like an S to me. Is that one of the options? Um, it, well, it, we can make it an option. Because that looks like an S to me, but okay. I don't know. I, maybe it was more obvious, like, in person? Maybe. I don't know. So one of the keys mm-hmm. was made in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Fitchburg? Yes. Uh, which is about an hour from Boston. So okay. are you sensing a theme with all of these... Things that have been found. Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. That one. I was like, I really hope that's the answer. Yes. That's all I got. So uh, they did pollen analysis on some oh, of the stuff. What state are we in right now? Um, she was found in uh, Baltimore or Woodlawn, which is like. So uh, Maryland? Yeah. And it's a seven hour drive from Boston. So plausible. Are Maryland and Massachusetts next to each other? Uh, well, they're all kind of. New oh, is England, it? Are we in New England? Yeah, it's New England, so it's small states. Oh, that's true. That's like, whenever I look at the map, I'm like, y'all, we're trying really hard up here, and then just by the time we got to the southwest states, like, everyone <laughs> had given up. They're like, it's like when you start an art project. Yes, and you're like very... And you're so detailed in the beginning, but as the deadline's getting closer, <laughs> yeah. you just start, it gets worse. We got a deadline, guys, just pencil Oregon in. And that's what it, uh, the American map looks like to me, starting from... Yeah. Northeast, yeah. it's, like, all nice and detailed, and then southwest is, like, crap, we're getting to the deadline. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. And my first thought was, like, but what if there's more land out there? And then I was, like, that oh, doesn't honey. make any sense. <laughs> Sorry for <laughs> They did pollen analysis on some of the stuff that was found with her. Okay. And they found a combination of cedar and mountain hemlock pollen that is very specific to either New York City or Boston. I think it's the botanical gardens in New York City. Oh, okay. Um, but also in Boston. And in 2016, Detective Dave Jacoby with the Baltimore County Homicide Unit said that they found the plants the pollen was from 
Like, they figured oh, it so out. So cool. Um, and the plants were from Arnold Arboretum in Boston. And they even had the tags from the plants that said that they were planted in 1969. Um, so I, I took a little journey on Google Maps. Oh, no. And this arboretum is literally wedged between Jamaica Hills and Jamaica Plain. And if you remember this homemade tattoo, yeah. some people think that it's J and P for Jamaica Plain. And here is where this case seems like it would be very easy to solve, but it hasn't been solved yet. In December 2015, a potential match was made based on a tip. There was a Colombian or Puerto Rican teenage immigrant that went by the name of Jasmine or Jazzy that had moved to Boston and lived in Jamaica Plain on Forbes Street and went to either a Catholic school or JFK Elementary, but police couldn't find any relatives, so they kind of halted that investigation. Okay. Um, she potentially had two sisters and three brothers, and this is where the key comes in, because I was going to say, Ooh. they potentially know that she lived on this one street. Just start going. Right? Oh, but if it's, if it's the from locks the 70s. have been changed. Yes. Which is a thing that happens. Also... Here's a fun fact that sometimes Uh-oh. locks, sometimes keys work in different locks because I moved houses in uh, middle school and the lock from our old house worked on the new house. Oh my God. That's, what? Yeah. That is so weird. We took it as a sign that this was the house that we were supposed to be in. Well, it's just like um, some car keys work on, on other. different cars. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's not supposed to happen, that's but not supposed here to we happen. are. Okay, so there was an age regression done by the local police department. Wait, so did they not go along Forbes Street trying? No, they didn't, as far as I know. Um, so it sounds like they um, they have all this information, but they obviously haven't been able to talk to the family. Yeah. Which is frustrating. Yeah. And I bet it's frustrating for the family, too, because I bet they want to know what happened to Jazzy. Yeah, because like, like, it might be a teenage immigrant who like her family didn't immigrate with her or something. Or, like, the needle in the haystack, if it is this woman or girl, has been, like, narrowed. So you could see all of the needles. In yeah. The, or the haystack. I, yeah. The, like, you get the metaphor. I'm yeah, there's, like, three pieces of straw left in the needle right there. Yeah, but, like, we just can't grab the needle. Yeah. Um, so there is an age regression done by the local police department to see if anyone could recognize her from her earlier years. And on the 40th anniversary, NECMEC, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, released an updated facial estimation. That looks really close. Yeah. Honestly, this updated NECMEC one is really good. Yeah. And so these were based on what? Like pictures of Jasmine or? No, these were based on the doe. Oh, and it was just yeah, because well, I think aging if, her down. Yeah, I okay. think if they found pictures, like I don't think they have any pictures. Oh, well, and Jasmine. that's why they look like her because. Yeah. Taking her face and aging her down. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No, I thought those were based off, like, pictures of Jasmine oh, kind no. of doing something. So I'm not going to say it because I've noticed I say it, and it's, like, my little tagline for it. I'm not going to say that's this case. I'm going to say something different, like... Oh, wait, that's it? I've told you all the information that I have. What? That's a really catchy slogan. Yeah, that's it. I could I could read the sources. Please <laughs> tell. You. <laughs> you, uh, what? Yeah, that's it. There's also some other weird stuff. I went into a bit of a web sleuth hole, but I didn't want to bring any of that up. But yeah, no, I totally agree yeah. with you that that is not Nation River. That's a completely different thing. Yeah, it's completely, right? It's completely yeah, that's different. that's not even close. Like, yeah. Oh. oh, that's crazy. 
my go-to. DNA? Um, well, genealogy? They, they got DNA. There was DNA from an unknown man found on her body. But I didn't really find out if, she, like, they have any DNA from her. Oh, I hope they have her blood type. Yeah. That can be fit. That was able to be figured out before DNA was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I... But someone put her in genealogy. Please. That's my answer for everything at this point. It's like, put it in the genealogy. I just picture like a cops being like, "What should we do?" And then you just pop up from the desk, genealogy. Yeah, that's I just. <laughs> yeah. They're like, "Would you stop?" We're like, we banned you from here. How yeah. do you keep getting in? Genealogy. <laughs> They're like, "This is a break and enter, ma'am. <laughs> you could be arrested for this." I'm in the prison cell and you just hear <laughs> genealogy, genealogy floating to the halls. <laughs> uh, okay, well, hmm. Yeah, I I really, I have faith that this one because like, it's a little so more much. high profile. And they're so close, potentially, if that is her. Yeah. Oh, then I, I would assume then that they do have her DNA sample. If they're looking for family, like... Oh, yes, you're I right. I mean, obviously, the like, show pictures to the family, but also to get DNA samples to compare, maybe? Right. That makes sense. I'll hopefully get more updates on this one. Yeah, I'm really hoping that there's updates on this one. All right, then I guess that brings us to my solved. It's the solved one. Okay. Full disclosure for this one. It's... It might be a hard one. It's a baby. Oh, I've just seen the name and it is a baby. Yeah. So, yeah, just a heads up to everyone. It is solved. It is very sad. Yeah. So on the afternoon of February 28th, 1981, Lee Litz was test driving a Jeep near Cornfield on the outskirts of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, when he spotted a red blanket in a ditch. Finding it odd, he pulled over to take a look and found the body of a baby boy with tears frozen on his cheek. So obviously that means the baby was alive. Not when he was found, but before. The baby had been in the ditch for approximately 24 hours, and the coroner believed he would have lived for about two hours before freezing and bleeding to death. <sighs> the umbilical cord had not been cut, and the placenta was still attached. Oh my god! Yeah. At the time, this was only the second homicide in Sioux Falls. The shocked community came together to give the baby a funeral. He was given the name Andrew John Doe, and buried with a stuffed black poodle and a teddy bear. His casket was decorated with carnations, and he was put in pajamas with a pin that said, You are loved. Holy shit. So, despite the media attention, baby Andrew Doe remained unidentified. The police quickly ran out of leads. They followed tips about pregnant women, but when they went to interview these pregnant women, they were either still pregnant or they had their newborn baby with them. <sighs> Litz, the man who found the baby, visited the grave every year as the case remained cold. Oh, I bet. That must like, have been he traumatizing. He basically treated this baby like his own son. Aww. Like, he visited every year. Yeah. Like, he he does, like, later um, on, he does talk about how he considered this baby his son. Yeah. In 2009, Detective Michael Webb had the baby exhumed and DNA samples taken. Although a DNA profile was created, it didn't match anything CODIS and... I don't remember what CODIS stands for. It's like the da- it's like the database of criminal fingerprints right. in the States. He checked back every year, still nothing, until January of this year, 2019, when Webb came upon the idea of genetic genealogy. Using this method, baby Andrew's relatives appeared to 
um, be all from Sioux Falls. A family tree was built through old marriage and birth announcements, which we both have experience with that. Mm, mm -hmm. It's super fun, but can be super confusing if you have a really messed up family. Yep. And relatives that don't seem to exist. And frustrating and confusing, and everyone yeah. back then was named John or Mary, oh which makes God. it... Oh, my God. And then you go with the census records, it's like, okay, so on this one you're called Mary, but on this one you're called Isabel. Oh, it's because it's your middle name, and you're suddenly going by Isabel. Oh, we're, here's one where you're going by a nickname, because apparently that was allowed. I have a lot of trauma from my family tree <laughs> building. So many. So many Williams. Oh, God. Oh, my God. So... Uh, family tree. Authorities had always figured the baby's mother had been fairly young, because this is... Generally, yeah. you would think that that it's would be the situation. Young mother. Based on the tree they built, they focused on a woman who was 19 in 1981. Teresa Bentas, and I don't know if I'm saying that right. Bentas? Bentas? And she still lived in Sioux Falls. Their suspicions were confirmed when they got her DNA samples from discarded cigarettes and beer cans, which proved that she was baby Andrew's mother. You cannot hide from DNA. You no. Really especially if you're still in the place where you abandoned yes. the baby. Like, yeah. So on February 27th, police arrested 57-year-old Teresa Bentas. The baby's father was actually Bentas's husband, although it isn't clear if they were married at the time. I don't think so. And he had no idea this happened. That is a massive secret. Right? Can you, um, like, I'm assuming they weren't married at the time. Can you imagine marrying someone and living with them for 30 more years? Yeah, I can't do math. 40? So Bentas told police that she had been, quote, young and stupid, keeping the pregnancy a secret from everyone and giving birth alone in her apartment. So I'm going to say she probably wasn't showing much then. Yeah. Like she's one of those ones that just doesn't and really shirts and um, She then drove out to the ditch and abandoned the newborn. But even when she saw the news coverage about the baby's funeral, she re refused to believe it was her baby, claiming to be in denial. Yeah, so I don't want to make any comments on her mental state or anything at that. No, because I feel like unless you've gone through that, which yeah. also sounds very awful. Yeah. So we, we only really have what she said to go on. Yeah. So after this, she went on to, I'm assuming, marry her husband and that they weren't married at the time. Uh, went on to have two more children who are now adults. So she has been charged uh, at the time of the article that I read, uh, charged with, I think, first degree murder and second degree and held on like a $250,000 bail. Um, but she hasn't gone to trial yet. So because right. it happened so soon. Right. Recently. Um, Crystal Ostrike, um, um, the daughter of Litz, the man who found baby Andrew, mm. Grew up treating the baby like her own lost brother. Oh. Yeah. And after Teresa's arrest, she and her father went back to baby Andrew's grave to leave a sock monkey and a teddy bear. This one I was amazed by just because when you have a cold case involving a baby, you don't expect that to ever be solved. No, never. Because like we've talked before, like baby bones don't last. And also, I don't know how to say this correctly, but I feel like with adults they've had time to have a life they've had time to like be in places like they've, work. they're leaving more traces that's exactly yeah it. and babies yeah you don't have that you have nothing especially if it was a secret pregnancy it's like i got nothing could be anybody and it's harder to get dna samples from babies 
Yeah. And you made a note that um, she stayed around so it was easier to get DNA from her. But I think it would also have been very suspicious if they found this baby and then suddenly, oh, where's Teresa? That's weird. She just left. Like, I feel like at the time, if she'd done that, they would have probably been like, hmm. hmm. But yeah, it's like, and her entire family was there. All of her relatives were in Sioux Falls and everything. But yeah, and also then after, when the community finds out and all that, of course you're not going to come forward. No. Uh, yeah, this was when I was actually going to do for my unidentified case. And then it... And then it was suddenly like, oh, this got solved. It's like, oh, That's hello. not the first time that that's no, happened that's gonna. To I think that's going to happen a lot, which is great. That's great. Yes. I am all about that. I, can't, I feel like it was the murder squad. Somebody that I was listening to was talking about how this is like, we are in like the beginning stage. they call it the renaissance or something? I was going to say golden age. It was either golden age or renaissance. I can't remember the exact words, but I know I know what quote you're meaning. Yeah. Just imagine that, like, if this many cases have been solved this quickly, this fast, with this technology, imagine in 10 years all the cases that are going to be solved. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. Also, I've now put my DNA in Jedmatch. Yay! I get on that. I'm told, ask my parents, I'm like, do you promise that you did not commit any crimes before I do this? (laughs) Because they will find you. They promised me they did not commit any crimes that would lead to extreme charges so now i'm a little <laughs> wondering what they've been up to well, and again my dad's ancestors i keep finding charges for larceny a 12 year old oh my god a 12 year old was charged with um theft wow in like the 1800s a 12 year old was charged with larceny i'm like what oh were you god. doing and i think it was either with his dad or grandfather that he was charged with and i'm like what oh. were you guys doing yeah what were you doing stop what it. were you getting up to so i'm just from family criminals really right I honestly feel like I need a minute after that case. Yeah, that was a... That, this was a dense episode. Yep. We still do not have... We even... will eventually maybe have a sign-off. I don't... I, I, I feel like our sign-off now is, we don't have one, bye. I don't know. I listen to other podcasts. Well, I don't think the dollop has a sign-off. No, they don't have a sign-off. Okay. They usually just end with a moral or, like, here's something shitty that happened in the news. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, okay, so we have, you can contact us at dopodcast oh, yeah. at gmail.com. You can say hi to us on Twitter. We're at dopodcast. You can follow us on Instagram and see some photos that we've talked about on the episodes. That are at, beautifully arranged by Allison. Oh, thank you. I just plunk them in a template. They are fancy. Thanks. And you can see us on Facebook, where if you search dopodcast, you'll probably also find us. And, oh, if you have any case ideas, you can email us at dopodcast at gmail.com. I don't know the names of any of our things. <laughs> I set them up to be very easy. I know. It's all just Dope Podcast. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.